Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. This is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help family members and friends. It's Monday, March 27th. It's 10 a.m. Central Time. And it's Monday, which means that we have our Today on Your Caregiving Journey podcast. We gather on Mondays to share stories, insights, and provide good company to you to remind you that you are not in this alone. We are in it with you. A couple quick updates for you about what's going on on caregiving.com. We have our random act of kindness campaign, which starts on Saturday, April 1st. We're not fooling around. We're going out there to create kindness in our communities, either virtually or in person. So join us. Do a random act of kindness every day. Tell us about it on caregiving.com and inspire us. That's one of the reasons that we make our random acts of kindness public. It inspires us to go out there and do it too. So last night on our call and talk show, Lisa and I talked about what we're going to do. Actually, Lisa did. I didn't commit. (laughs) I thought, I can't commit. She committed. She is committed to her random act of kindness. She knows what she's going to do. It's awesome. You can listen to the podcast. It's on the Blog Talk Radio website, or it'll be up on caregiving.com later today. I have not committed, although I will do something kind every day. So join us. One of the things that's nice in our virtual world is you can do something kind on social media. You could do something nice on Facebook or Twitter. And then if you're not able to get out, you're still participating. If you are out in the community, do something nice for someone without having them know if you'd like. So that starts on Saturday, April 1st. We're sharing six word stories. And the six word story for this week is drudgery. So write a story about drudgery posted on caregiving.com. And actually, you know what? I have a gift for this one. So if you post a six-word story about drudgery by midnight on March 31st, you're entered into a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card. So head on over to caregiving.com. Look for the headline in six words. What's your story about drudgery? And then share a story. We do have some already, so here's one from Anne. Drudgery surprised me. It overwhelms me. And then Frogger shared several, and she was really clever about the way she did it. So I'll share her first and her last, and then you can go and read the rest. So her first six-word story about drudgery is, A Cruel Disease Changes Our Lives. And then her last one is, Finding the Blessings, Savoring the Moments. So you can go to our blog post that asks you to share the six-word stories to learn how she got from one to the other. It's really pretty clever how she did it. So share your six-word story for a chance to win. And then the other thing we're doing is talking about how we explain the absences. So we know that family members, friends can disappear, disappear during caregiving we're left with the responsibilities and the explanations. So Carrie's may turn to us and say, where is, and then we have to explain it. So how do you explain it? Mary, who's a member of caregiving.com, is having a tough time with her mom who is currently dying. And so 
she really put it all out there in her comment yesterday, which I thought was so great. She said, please explain it to me. I need to know why they're not here. So it's one of those things that we often wonder. And I have thought about it for a long time. One explanation that stands out to me, and there are a few, but the one is during stressful situations, we stay to fight or we flee. And I think that's what happens. It's too stressful for some. And so their stress response is to run away. And that's what they do. I don't think that is the entire explanation. I think that's part of it. And I also think that we know how and they don't. So they don't know how to stay. They don't know how to be in a vulnerable, scary situation. So in some regard, we model that. We show others how to stay. They have to stay around a little bit, though, to see it. Sometimes that's the irony of it. They don't stay to see, so they can't learn how. Okay, so that's what's going on on caregiving.com. We also have a new chat that's starting on Friday. It's going to happen on the last Friday of every month, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, in our caregiving chat room. And it's a chat for those who care for a family member with diabetes. And Lisa Rigi who, as you know, helps me plan our conference, who joins me as the co-host on our last, on our call-in podcast, which is on the last Sunday of every month, is going to lead that special chat. So that chat, for those who are caring for someone with diabetes, happens on the last Friday every month at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you can, join Lisa on Friday afternoon, March 31st the last Friday of the month. And I think that's it. I think those are the updates. So I wanted to talk today about help, taking it. So in the chat room on Friday night, we had a member join us whose mom is in the hospital, ready for discharge in a week. And so... The daughter is trying to figure out, how do I do this? How do I get the house ready? How do I get the help ready so that I could keep working and mom is safe when she gets home? And of course, it's overwhelming. It's incredibly stressful. So her thought is, I don't have help. So as we were talking it through, she mentioned a couple things that stood out to me. She said, I have a friend who's offered to stop in and check on mom for me. And then the daughter said, but that's not the help I need. And then she said, I do have a friend who's referred to a caregiver I can hire privately, which will save me money, but I'm not sure how that will work out. I'm not sure if that's the right solution. So what struck me is that there were some pieces of help, but they weren't the full piece, and so she started to discard them. It's not what I wanted. It's not what I envisioned. So it's not the right help. So as we talked it out, I suggested to her that she hire the caregiver to be with her mom weekend, which is when the discharge is scheduled to happen. And while she's there, so she hires the caregiver to be there while she's still there so she can see if the caregiver is the right fit. And then I suggested that she take her friend up on her offer to just stop in and check on her mom. And I positioned it as, 
it's the pieces that you could put together that create the right solution. So sometimes we have a tendency to dismiss the pieces because it's not the whole. But we get to the whole when we put together the pieces. And it made me think of a time during my dad's hospitalization when my mom was also hospitalized. My dad fell at home at about midnight because he had refused pain pills after he went to a plastic surgeon and a plastic surgeon burned off the cancer on the top of his head. It wasn't just spots, it literally covered the top of his head. My brother was with him because I couldn't go. And so my brother let him say, no, I don't need any pain pills. So of course he's in tremendous pain, passes out from it, goes to the hospital. He stays for 36 hours. On the day of his discharge, my other brother is with my dad in his hospital room, and I'm with my mom on the other side of the hospital with her so I could talk to the doctors. So after I talk to the doctors for my mom, I go to the room where my dad is, and so my brother updates me about what's going on. And so <laughs> the discharge planner has been to the hospital room and has suggested home health for my dad. Guess what my dad has said? No. <laughs> says, no, we can manage okay at home. Well, of course we can't. We cannot manage at home. I mean, that's why we're in the hospital. So I, I was calm. And it must have been extreme fatigue that did not send me over the moon on this one or the sun because it was uh, Friday morning. I said, Dad, we're taking this. We're taking the help. I'm going to get the discharge planner back because we're going to take the help. And then I said, because we had been fighting over meals too, so my mom's friends had been bringing meals over to help my dad and I who were at home and he was getting frustrated with the meals. And so he was telling them not to bring meals. And I said, dad, we need the food. We need the meals. So in that hospital room, after he had refused home health, I said to my dad, we're going to take it. When someone offers you help, take it. We're just going to take it. I said, the reason we're in this situation with you right now is because you didn't take the help. You didn't take the pain meds. That's what we're he- why we're here. We are taking the help. We are taking it. And my brother, <laughs> I just remember looking over at him and he was like, yeah, yeah, we're taking the help. We're taking the help. So then I got up, rushed out, tried to find the discharge planner, found her got everything organized, the help started then the next day. We were able to get help in on Saturday. So I always think of that. When someone offers, take it. Maybe it's not the complete piece of help that you need, but it's a piece. And the complete picture comes together through the pieces. The more people that you have helping, the better it is. And what's interesting about the daughter in the chat room on Friday evening is that she's very worried about her backup plan. She can't figure it out. However, the pieces of her backup plan come together when she takes her friend's help, who's going to check in on her mom, and when she takes the referral to the caregiver. They could become the backup. So maybe while at work, she has the caregiver in for part-time, and then her friend checks in the other time. And then if there's a problem, she's alerted right away. She's not wondering, is there a problem? Should I go home? Do I need to go home? What's happening at home? So when someone offers, take it. 
even if it's just a piece, it's how you put the pieces together to get the whole. Okay, so let's bring in our good company that joins me on Monday mornings. So let me tell you about Carolyn and Colleen. So Colleen is a certified caregiving consultant. Her website is The Longest Dance. She cared for both her parents for a decade, and she helps family caregivers streamline their lives and cultivate a sense of mission that supports them through the less-than-perfect days. So good morning, Colleen. Good morning, Denise. Carolyn Grant, who's also a certified caregiving consultant, has 10 years of experience caring for both her parents while raising a family. She teaches her clients to recognize their own unique strengths as a caregiver, how to listen actively, and to proactively communicate with everyone from doctors to extended family members. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning, Denise and Colleen. So here's my question for you, and Colleen, we'll start with you. When did you receive an offer of help that you refused? All the time. I was very stubborn and stoic at the beginning, and I went far longer than I ever should have accepting help from other people or going out and finding the help that I needed. Is there help that you were offered that now when you look back you think, oh, I could have used that? Oh, yes, all of the help. Looking back, I would have, every single offer I got from anyone, I would have just snapped it up. Because like you were saying, the little pieces do add up to the whole. And it, you know, these little offers of help didn't seem like anything. It feels like, for me, it felt like I was doing such a big job that these little offers were sort of like, oh, that's nice. What's that really going to do for me? And it really, in, the, in looking back, would have been tremendous. Yeah, so Carolyn, what about you? Were there offers of help that you refused when you were caring for your parents? <laughs> Take Colleen's word and I'll just say ditto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and, and the second part of that is, yes, I should have said yes to help because people, what I realized after the fact, people wanted to help. They offered and I thought, well, that's very nice of them. But I had reasons at the time why I said no. And what happened over time is people didn't know what to do, how to help, so they the offers stopped coming. Sure, of course, which is what you don't mm-hmm. want to happen. If people hear you say, no, I don't need help, they think, she doesn't need help, I'm not going to offer anymore. And that's mm-hmm. the last thing we want to have happen. So we want people to get into that habit of helping, to know what we're doing, to know how we're doing it, to know when we need help, so that... It's not just us. You know, there's another part of it too, Carolyn, that you mentioned. That is, I think we sometimes feel burdened by the experience. Not all the time, but there is that underlying, well, this is hard for me. Why would I ask someone else to go through this with me? And I think it's important for us to remember that sometimes it's not a burden, but it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for people to be involved in a really important and life-changing experience people want that experience too so we've got to involve them maybe not the way we're involved but a taste of it can be very helpful what do you Mm -hmm. think Colleen 
I agree completely. Until somebody experiences it firsthand, you can't comprehend the level of what's going on. You can complain about it and vent as much as you want, but until it's experienced, it's that's the best way to do it. Carolyn, what would you add? I agree with that, and I read an article back at the time that I was really entrenched in caregiving, and it was in Time Magazine or a magazine like that, and it was written by the primary caregiver who talked to her sister on the phone on long-distance caregiving, and the sister came to visit and said, I had no idea what you were going through. We, We talked on the phone, but... I did not understand, and that really resonated with me because I had a sibling who was not actively involved and a cousin who could not come because of work restrictions, and emotionally it was affecting her. So had I said, come, experience it, I really would have felt more supported. Yeah, I think we just talk ourselves into a corner during caregiving. And we don't know it at the time. We think we're doing the right things. We really do. We really do. I think about a client who cared for her mom at home. She had three young children when her mom had a stroke. And so her mom lived with them for 10 years. And my client was very concerned about the impact on her family. So what she did was compartmentalize. So she put her mom in one compartment and her family in the other. And she made sure she had this invisible wall that the two didn't cross. It was fascinating to be in the house because her mom was in the house, but yet not part of the family because she was so worried about the impact. And as her mom was dying, it was her last week, and we knew that her mom was dying, my client decided to go to a support group meeting, which was fantastic because she often would put things on hold. And so we all encouraged her to go. I encouraged her. Her husband encouraged her. And she was very concerned about leaving her mom with her husband. But she left, and she left dinner for her mom. And her mom couldn't eat it. She couldn't pick up the fork. She couldn't pick up the spoon. So her husband, my client's husband, fed his mother-in-law. Spoonful, spoonful, spoonful. And that was the last meal that she ate. My client took it as, oh, my gosh, I let down my mom because I did not feed her her last meal. But here's the thing. This is the shift that's important to make. Her husband now had a story about how he helped. And isn't that more important? Her husband helped. He had a story he could tell after his mother-in-law's death that was a a story of pride and importance to him, the story about how he fed his mother-in-law her last meal. Those are the stories that we give to others when we allow them to help. It's that story that people tell afterward that connects them to the purpose. And we want to make sure that that purpose is shared. It's not just something that we connect to, but we allow others to be connected as well. So, Colleen, as we're, st- we're starting to paint ourselves in the corner with, I can do this. I don't want anybody else to feel overwhelmed by this. It's important that I do this. These are my parents. This is my responsibility. What's a shift that we can make? What do you think we can tell ourselves that opens it up? 
Well, I think the story that you tell is so poignant because it does show what gift you're able to give someone else who is in your Carrie's life. And those stories are so important after our loved one isn't with us anymore. And I mean, for, if I had heard that story, I think when I was entrenched, I, it would have resonated and I could, that would have been a great turning point from my perspective Another thing in retrospect that I realized was when my dad moved into assisted living, I realized everything that I was doing for him, one person, was now being done by a staff of over 100 people. And that was very enlightening in terms of, you know, literally one person cannot do it all. It's not like you move in and they assign one person to be, you know, somebody's caretaker. And that was a, a good shift that I think if you can remind yourself of that, you know, it's just, you, you can't do it and to allow others to come in and that's what they are there for. Something that also happens. Yeah. Something that also happens during caregiving is that the responsibilities sneak up on us. So Carolyn, before we know it, we're doing all this work without realizing all the work that we're doing. And that can keep us doing all this work. So how can we step back, have a clear picture of what what we're doing so that we can allow others to help us? Well, I, so that's introspection. So sitting with a cup of tea and a notepad and, or just thinking about all that we're doing and realizing, I think it's important to humbly take stock of what we're doing. It helps us, I think, empathy for the person that we're caring for. Say, okay, I am doing this. Wow. Because when we're feeling overwhelmed, taking stock helps us understand why we're feeling overwhelmed, the actual physical tasks. And then on top of that is the emotional well-being. So I think that's, that's it, that introspection. And then looking around and wondering who can help. Who might like to come and, you know, feed my dad just one meal? Um, small step. Who might like to come and sit while I go out of the house for a few hours? Because people really do want to help. They don't want to take on all of this stress that we have to, but nor should they have to. But they do want to help. I think that we do such a service to others when we show them how to help and to show them that the impact of their help, even if the help is one hour every two months, does make a difference. So, Colleen, when you look oh, – some, did someone want to add something? I heard someone take a breath. Actually, it's Carolyn, and I did. And on that note, when my mom was in hospice, the, there was a volunteer who was a young man. He was about 23 years old. And he's a hospice volunteer. And I was so shocked that someone who had been through the hospice experience would want to help another family who was going through the process. And I asked him why. And he said it so moved him to be there for his grandfather that he wanted to help other family caregivers and allow them to have a bit of a break. It just made him feel good. Yeah, I I think that we have to remember that it's not it's a it's often not a burden but an opportunity. 
And we Mm -hmm. can't make that judgment for someone else. We cannot make that judgment. We have to offer and see. We have to accept. Let it go where it goes. And then decide if, if it's right, if it's working, if it needs to be tweaked or adjusted. So, Colleen, when a family caregiver receives an offer of help, and it's a piece, it's a piece of the pie, what can they do so that peace becomes the right fit? What suggestions can you offer to them? To be open-minded to having this not look like the way you thought it was going to. Caregiving, I don't think, was ever on anybody's horizon for you know, their, their life plan, and being open to creating things as you go along. So understanding where that person's relationship with your carry is and allowing them to express that in their own way. And it isn't going to be the way that you do things, but that's okay. Um, What's the expression? Better better done, and you're going to have to help me out with this one, Denise or Carolyn. Better done, well well done is better than undone or not done. Just that, you know what I'm talking about? That one. I shouldn't have started saying. I'm getting tongue-tied. You get your gist. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think of the dishwasher. For some reason, I think we have very we have a lot of control over the dishwasher and how it should be loaded and unloaded. And so sometimes we see someone load the dishwasher and we think, well, they're not doing it right, so I'm not going to have them do it anymore which means we are loading the dishwasher. It does not matter how the dishwasher gets loaded. It only matters the dishwasher is loaded. And we didn't do it. We have to let go. We have to let go. Yeah. Carolyn, what would you add? Well, I I don't know if I'm kind of turning corner in this conversation, but I think there are probably many family caregivers that were like myself where I was so focused on my mom's needs and wants when she, because she was the one that was sick, that little by little I backed myself into a corner because she had a lot of pride. She did not want anyone to see her sick. So I was the, other than my, my immediate family, the only people that she wanted to see. So that's how it started where I was refusing help. When I look back now, it was silly. It was important to put her needs first. However, I could have adapted things could have accepted meals by going to the door and stopping the, you know, being there to see someone arrive. I think we have to be aware that, yes, it's important to put our loved one's feelings first, but not to the exclusion of ourselves because we need to be supported. So to kind of think about how we can get our own needs met while we're taking care of our loved ones. So when I give workshops, and I share, hey, receive the help. There's always someone that says, my caree refuses help. And I say, okay, what's the help for you then? What helps mm-hmm. you? For whatever reason, we go to that next step when a caree refuses help that we can't have any help. And that's not mm-hmm. the case. A caree refuses help. Okay, so then what helps us? What do we need? Is it that we just need to hire someone to come in and clean the house? once every two months? Is it we need someone to manage outside of the house, shoveling, raking leaves, mowing the lawn? Is it that we need more help with our kids? 
we have to think about it in terms of what do we need to. It's very important, as you say, Carolyn, we have needs too. And it's important that we have those needs met, especially during such a stressful and tough time. Okay, so we're going to close today with a resource suggestion, and Carolyn has an idea for us. What are you thinking? Well, um, in thinking back to my time um, when I was caring for my mom, when she was diagnosed, she did have stage four lung cancer, and her pain was managed very well up until some point in the second year when more and more pain medication was um, required to keep the pain at bay. And with all that heavy pain medication came constipation, which made her feel very, very uncomfortable. Now, the, her oncologist was wonderful, and he had talked to my mom about hospice, and she was ready to keep living. So she wasn't open to that idea at all um, because she still believed she was going to be okay. And the oncologist was smart enough to say, you know, there is a way to manage your pain because hospice is also palliative care, keeping you comfortable. And his suggestion and his phrasing was a godsend because she allowed the hospice and palliative care social worker to come to the house for a conversation. And she was convinced that this was the avenue to pursue. So my resource is when our loved ones are going through um, dealing with a great deal of pain and then not feeling as comfortable as they should, considering the resources that hospice provides, learn about them ahead of time. It doesn't mean that you're accepting that your loved one is dying. It's not end. It's care to keep them comfortable. So one of the resources that I did not use because I did not do research when I was in the throes of caregiving, but now I would look to the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. There, This is one of many websites to learn about hospice and provide uh, what they can provide in terms of managing pain. Um, this particular website is the nhpco.org, the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. They have so many resources to learn about hospice, um, whether it's pediatric hospice and palliative care, um, information for grief and bereavement, um, advanced care planning, just so much stuff. Um, so not to, just to keep in mind as your, as your loved one is being cared for, keep hospice in the back of the mind for palliative care purposes. And I just want to mention something. When a carry refuses services like hospice, it's okay, and it's okay for us to continue that conversation to learn about hospice. So you can call your local, local hospice organizations and say, we've addressed hospice with my mom. She has said no. However, I want to learn more about this because what happens is you learn more and oftentimes you learn phrases and ways to communicate, to talk about hospice that's helpful. So it's okay if your carry says no, and it's even better as you say, okay, my carry has said no, but I'd like to learn more. And just call and say, hey, my carry's refused, because you know what? You're not the first one that's calling to say that. And say, I'd like to learn more, though, just so I'm aware of what's available. Okay, that's a great resource, Carolyn. And give us the website again. It is nhpco.org, which is the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. Okay, great. Carolyn and Colleen, thank you so much for being here today. 
Thank you. It was great to be here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We're on the air every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Feel free to join us. You can join us in the chat room. Lisa was in the chat room this morning. Good morning, Lisa. Thanks for being with us. And if you have any questions or concerns that you'd like to address, just let us know. Thanks very much. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we always know, love to know. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.